glass, I'm pretty and Welcome to Season 4 of the Barfly Podcast. My name is Jeff Berger, Barfly columnist for the Bay Area News Group and author of the books 20 Years Behind Bars and its sequel, Parole Denied. My co-host and barback is Kevin Blum, editor of the online entertainment hub, The Marine Dish. So sit back and enjoy our little peek behind the hospitality industry crew. Oh, and don't forget to... Have a drink on me. Our guest today is Michael Mendel, the founder and CEO of Restonomics, a restaurant and consulting management company which, among other clients, includes Poju and the Mexican-themed Copita, both in Sausalito, and the latter in partnership with celebrity chef Joanne Weir, who's been a guest on this podcast. A new Copita is slated to open in San Jose later this year, so without further ado, welcome to the show, Michael. Thank you, Jeff. So let's talk a little bit about Sausalito in general. Okay. So, I mean, you've got two restaurants down there, you've weathered the pandemic, the tourists are coming back. How's that going? Well, uh, today it's going well, but tomorrow we'll see. Uh, and it's been a real roller coaster. You know, obviously the pandemic changed things quite a bit. Some things temporarily, some things permanently. And tourism does start to seem to be coming back. But then there are new challenges that are presenting themselves every day. One of the biggest challenges is we get to go back to all the problems we had before COVID. Welcome back. So, but, you know, we, we've been very fortunate, especially compared to some other people who are trying to rebuild in places like financial districts or office environments. Yeah. So we consider ourselves very fortunate in Sausalito. Well, you've had a long history there, too. So that's one of the yeah. things that as an established restaurant or two established restaurants, you're not kind of trying to lure people back in. They, they know what to expect. And a, a lot of that food translated pretty well to to-go food. It did. Yeah. In fact, uh, Poggio will be 20 years next year. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Copita is celebrating 10 years this year. So mm-hmm. we've got two milestones. You know, with Poggio, for example, yes, Italian food travels well. Pizza, obviously. But when the pandemic hit, we didn't do any delivery whatsoever. Mm -hmm. We didn't have any DoorDash or Grubhub. And then we immediately had to pivot to delivery only. Right. And so all of a sudden, we had to strike deals with DoorDash, Grubhub, and the rest of those players. And it was uh, a transition, both for our kitchen, for our chef, for our team. The good news is, is that we learned how to do delivery, learned how to do takeout even better. And that business is going to continue, you know, indefinitely. So we're happy to have learned how to do that. We were not happy how we had to do it right away. Right. But uh, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was it, it, there are certain things that COVID, COVID taught us that uh, made us better restaurants. Adaptability has always been the key in the restaurant business. And so those are big adaptations. But again, it's, it's allowing new revenue streams too. Right, the idea that to-go food would be such an important part of restaurants now uh, seems seems you know par for the course. But two years ago, three years ago, that wasn't the way it worked. No question, and uh, people's habits have changed. Now they expect you to have takeout and delivery, mm-hmm. uh, even at the highest end of restaurants. Right. I mean, you see restaurants in Manhattan that are mm-hmm. you know hundreds of dollars per person, they're doing delivery. Right. And that is just the strangest thing ever. Yeah. And that's never going away. Right. People just assume that you are on one of the platforms and if they want your food and you don't have a reservation or they can't make it to your restaurant, they'll just, you know, 
open up their phone and have it delivered. So if we see French Laundry on like DoorDash one of these days, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised. Yeah, yeah. And, you know maybe not French Laundry, <laughs> but Bouchon or sure. one of Thomas's other restaurants. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's part of the expectation now that people have and how they use restaurants. Mm-hmm. So that is that's been a pretty big change among others that is not going to go away. But a good change, right? Again, and generally, yeah. generally. I mean, you talk to chefs. And they still have the same qualms about delivery as they used to. Right. The food degrades. It gets cold. You don't know what the delivery driver's doing to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the presentation that, can be... Yeah. It, it changes right. things. And so, you know, no matter what your food is, it, it is um, better when it's served in your restaurant, straight out of the kitchen. Uh, I don't think a chef will, will ever feel like his food is as good or hers is as good if it's delivered as compared to when it's served right out of the kitchen. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you guys have also been doing some interesting things over at Copita. Like I know that you have that great promotion where it's like a you can buy all the uh, ingredients for a margarita. Yes, yes. We and call it our sip package, the sip, which, yes. which was uh, originally named for shelter in place, the sip, right? yeah, which yeah. was a <laughs> bottle of tequila, uh-huh. uh, a half gallon of lime juice, and an organic agave syrup, and that would last you at least a night or two. Right. <laughs> Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. But honestly, you know, with the the, the the reason that came to be is because. We had no idea how long we were going to be shut down for. Mm -hmm. And for like a lot of restaurants, we didn't know if we were going to be able to pay our people, pay rent and things like that. So basically what we wound up doing was we stopped ordering the things that we didn't have to absolutely order and just sold through our inventory. So we sold through our inventory of, of wines and beer and tequila and then realized that you know people started were drinking a lot more than they had <laughs> in, before COVID. In good times, yeah. bad times, they drank. Right? And yeah. uh, you know the, the other part, and this is true, I think, of most neighborhood restaurants, is that you know our our customers, our neighbors, were trying to figure out ways to support us through this process. Mm-hmm. And so even though they could have probably you know bought limes and tequila for half the price that they were buying it from our restaurant, they wanted to support us mm-hmm. and. That gave them an opportunity to do that, and we have some great pictures on our feeds of, of people that were enjoying Copita at home during what was really the most traumatic two or three months of our lives right? sure. in terms of the business. Speaking of uh, your social feed and all that, I, I do follow uh, Copita. I also follow Poggio, but uh, specifically you. with Copita, uh, you guys do a damn good job with that. Like it's it's food porn for well, sure. Thank you, thank you. Uh, and it, it, there's a reason. And I'm not a big Instagram person. Mm-hmm. Like there are some you know feeds, uh, some handles I will follow. But there's always something you make. You present pictures of food or of an experience that I want to be a part of. Well, we appreciate and, that. Yeah. That's it's very kind of you to say that. I am very proud to to say that that's actually my son that's in charge. Is that of your all. son? Yes. No so kidding. Okay. We are a three generation operation right now, uh-huh. among many other partners and, and team, but my father founded the restaurants. I've been helping oversee them for the last five years. And then during the pandemic, my oldest son joined because it was all hands on deck. Yeah. He was, he had a career going in uh, with other restaurants with fast casual actually opened a fast casual concept in February of 2020, oh, boy. got them through their opening. Mm-hmm. And then I said, 
you know, we started talking and he said, you know, I can help you with this. And social media was one of the areas. Uh, yeah, he's been in charge of our online marketing for the last two years. Has the needle moved at all or shifted because of your social media efforts? No question. I mean, he's so much better at it than we were before. Yeah. I mean, we had a professional team do it for us mm-hmm. um, prior to COVID and they were very good. But as the things were changing and we couldn't afford outside help, we had to do it in, inside. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had people in the restaurants that were doing their best. But to have somebody definitely of his generation that's yeah. very savvy about what uh, people are looking for and also the things that are important from the restaurant standpoint. If we've got, like, for example, cherries are in season right now, so we have a cherry margarita, so he's got great pictures of cherry margaritas. Sure. Yeah. Simple things. It really comes down to the coordination among within the restaurant, but also to have beautiful photographs that make you want yeah. to go eat or drink that. Well, sometimes also having someone who's intimately involved in the restaurant, who's also, you know, millennial-ish, then, then that helps them pro- project that because you don't really know what that generation is looking for. At least I, I know for myself, yeah. right? I have a 29-year-old daughter and sometimes she comes up with this stuff and I thought, really? People are drinking that? Right. Or right. they're eating that? Or right. I, I don't get it at all. Right. right. And there's a different viewpoint and they're uh, connecting with people in different ways. Most importantly, though, is that they understand when you have somebody doing it internally, they're talking to the chefs, the managers, the servers, the bartenders, understanding what what's resonating with people. And as you get better with that, it improves. So there's this virtuous cycle. The more communication you have with your guests, the more communication you have with your team, the better your social media becomes. And I think we're, we're on the right track with that. Absolutely, because it's interactive. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's and not like you're just putting out a brochure and hopefully you read it, but people are engaging with it. It's the opposite of static. It's yeah. constantly changing, and, and that's what people are looking for. They might not necessarily be looking for uh, something trendy, but they're looking for something interesting and new. And so we've, we've been able to use the, those platforms to present that, even in a restaurant as traditional as Poggio or maybe not so traditional like Copita. That's what the restaurant business is all about, trying new things, new experiences, seeing what, what the you know what, what the next new thing coming down the pike is. But there's there's doing that in a forced fashion and then there's doing that in a in an organic fashion where it just makes sense. Yeah. Like you're talking about a cherry margarita, that makes sense. Where you can see some of these things where they, they really, like I said, it can be hard as a longtime restaurant uh, person to go, I don't know what they're trying to do. Right. Right. And right. so that's, a, you know, we had Andrew Freeman on the show and uh, he talks about concept confusion. And that's such a great, it seems so simple, but it's true that you have to be true to what you're doing while still adding things, new things along the way. Absolutely. And Andrew is, uh, you know, we've been in business together over the years and he is so insightful and he's seen restaurants be successful and he's seen restaurants make missteps and he's really good at distilling why some places are successful and then why some places maybe blow up initially and then fade from from view so there and it's a tough it's a tough uh, path to navigate you know you want to be new and interesting but people tend to go to your restaurant for specific things. They mm-hmm. love those tacos or that pizza or mm-hmm. whatever it is. And 
woe be it to the restaurant that changes that up. Right. Because uh, there are a few things that are absolutely sacrosanct for, especially for restaurants that have been around for a while. You know, sometimes in, in the old days that, you know, you get the new chef who'd come in who'd deliberately change things right. just because they're not eating my food. Absolutely. Right? And that, that's very, that's very common. And, you know, when you have turnover, particularly in the kitchen, there's almost a feeling like whatever was there before isn't what I want to do. And so that, that's, that's where restaurants run into a little bit of trouble, which is why turnover is such a prominent challenge in restaurants, no matter what you're, you're talking about, what level of restaurant, what, you know, whether we have a pandemic or not, right, right. Uh, turnover remains one of the biggest challenges. And well, now hiring. I mean, that, that becomes the next one because there, there's a whole generation of talent that has not doesn't exist. Yeah. Beginning when people started reopening, I said, well, there's going to be a, a problem now. But in two years, those people are going to have two years worth of experience. Right. And that's going to be a whole different ballgame. But I'm, I'm not sure that's actually happening. I mean, what do you think? Well, it's been a huge problem and it remains to be. I mean, it was a problem before the pandemic. Right. You know, finding a really talented people in any industry is difficult. But the restaurant industry especially, it, it, it has gotten every year. It seems like it's gotten uh, trickier, particularly in the Bay Area mm-hmm. where uh, cost of living is so high. Cost of commuting now is so high. Uh, we've always felt that the the most important thing that we can do is to take good care of our people. We were very fortunate in some ways when the pandemic hit is that we didn't have to change you know what our approach was. The most important thing was how are we going to be able to take care of our people during whatever length this crisis was going to last. You know, immediately as soon as we got shut down, we said to our entire team. Number one, we're going to look out for you. Number two, we're going to stay in contact with you. And, and three, probably the most important thing, is that we're going to guarantee your health insurance for as long as this crisis lasts. Wow. And we didn't know how long it was going to last. So we actually <laughs> went for numbers. We might have um, rethought how we were going to phrase that. But we made it very clear that, you know, Whenever we were able to reopen, we would make sure that they were, they were able to come back. Throughout the, the cycle of openings and closings and takeout only, and our, our team came back. And we were very, very appreciative of, of that fact. The downside is, is that most restaurants have figured that out now. Mm-hmm. So it used to be that there were a lot of restaurants out there that didn't take care of their people in some places that actually run by jerks. Mm-hmm. And right. those restaurants have pretty much gone away because nobody wants to work for them anymore. Right. Mm-hmm. And right now there, you know, there's a study that I just saw that says for every job seeker in general, there are two jobs out there. In the restaurant world, for every job seeker, there are five or maybe ten jobs that they can choose from. Mm-hmm. And they are not averse to saying, listen, if you don't treat me well, where you don't compensate me correctly, I can go down the street or to the next town over and find a better job that I like more. Well, I was joking. We were talking about the French Laundry. I mean, I saw an ad on Craigslist for French Laundry, a server at the French Laundry, which right. is astounding to think of, right? What a different world we live in when that happens. It's turned upside down. And, you know, for some places that that is a, a, a new thing that they're trying to navigate. But for us, it was always about how do we take care of our people? How do we, um, you know teach them new skills, how do we allow them to have a lifestyle that they enjoy, and that goes back from my father 30 or 40 years, so he's always been a big believer in that, and 
And that's really been sort of one of the linchpins to the success of our restaurants. Sometimes, well, talking about some of these other concepts and some of these weird business plans, their their entire business plan was to hire somebody who's already trained. Right. And there was no concept of how we're going to bring them along. We're just going to open it and they will come. Right. Or right. the concepts that are, we're going to open up a concept that it involves the fewest amount of people as possible. Right. And, that, and that's understandable, right? So if people are hard to find, you try to develop a restaurant concept that doesn't require as many people. And that's, and that's happening, you know, in a couple of different ways. You know, one thing is, is that, you know, the whole explosion of fast casual concepts, the idea is, is that, you know, you make the customer do the work. Right. You either wait in line and order right. and the food is run. To and then you. put the dip jar out. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, you're seeing full service, high end restaurants mm-hmm. with this order at the counter, pick up your own right. food kind of concept. And I get it. I understand why they're doing that. But honestly, you know, when you're going out to dinner and you're enjoying a date or that's not exactly the kind of uh, experience you want to have. Um, so, well, especially not for special occasions, right? I mean, if you're proposing, oh, yes, right, you don't right. want to be carrying right. a tray yeah, over exactly. the table. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're ring ready, but hold on, I got to yeah. pick up our salad. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but you know, people are trying different things, different approaches, because they're forced to. There just aren't enough people to continue to open up the amount of restaurants that people want to open. And there's been this backlog of people who were supposed to open in 2020 or 2021, and now you're starting to see restaurant openings with, uh, at a speed that is, is really breathtaking. Well, speaking of restaurant openings, aren't you in the midst of we uh, are opening the uh, Copita, we are, the is, sequel, and uh, was it are. San Jose? Or? We are, and it was really um, kind of a, a funny story because... We were originally approached by the uh, landlord at this particular location in August of 2020. And he said, hey, how about opening a a restaurant down here in in this neighborhood called Willow Glen in San Jose? Mm -hmm. And we looked at him like he had two heads. Like, are you out of your mind? (laughs) The last thing we are ever going to think about right now is to open another restaurant. And he goes, okay, well, let me check back in a little while. <laughs> we said, sure, that sounds like a great plan. But he's a, he's a really smart guy. He knew what he wanted. He wanted a modern Mexican restaurant like Copita in, in San Jose for the building that he was building. You know, he came back in about February of last year. As things started to look like they were settling down, we could talk about growth again. We realized that both this, this partner, landlord, and this neighborhood were pretty much exactly what we were hoping to do for the next step for Copita. Mm-hmm. Copita in Sausalito was almost an accidental restaurant. It wasn't, it wasn't our intention to do a Mexican restaurant in Sausalito, but the previous owners of that restaurant were actually opened an Italian restaurant, you know, a few doors down from our Italian restaurant, <laughs> yeah. which was a little annoying. They wound up not doing very well and the space became available and it's a very small space it's only 1800 square feet and at that point uh, my father and joanne weir had this very famous uh, margarita making competition and one thing led to another so we opened up really at just the smallest restaurant i think that he's ever been involved with it was patterson's bar for 40 years in sausalito and it's oh, that's mostly right. a it bar was, yeah i mean the bars yeah. pack the space and it's got the smallest kitchen you you could ever imagine. <laughs> but what Joanne was able to create and then the, the team uh, together with Joanne uh, really caught fire. And it did better than we probably ever imagined. 
And so, you know, after it, 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 it continued to do well, we thought maybe this was something that we could do in another uh, neighborhood. And we're, we're looking right up until COVID and then ultimately found this great spot in uh, Willow Glen down in San Jose. That's exciting. Very yeah, exciting. it's exciting. It's yeah. either going to be the smartest thing we've ever done or the <laughs> craziest thing we've ever done. Yeah. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited to see what it's like to open a restaurant in the sort of post-COVID era, if mm-hmm. we can even utter those words. I've been fortunate enough to open a couple dozen restaurants around the country, and there was a pretty consistent way that we thought that those that, that would happen. This is this is a different a different project altogether. I've, you know, I'm not going to give out any names, but two weeks ago, our architect got COVID. He's out for a week or two, you know, so things like that, there's nothing you can do, right? So things take longer, construction costs are more expensive. We've been trying to get an ice machine for six months for our restaurant in Santa Barbara. Six months. Really? Yeah, so simple things that you used to be able to pick up a phone and have something delivered next week, it's just not as easy. It, It was never easy, but it's gotten exponentially more challenging. But it's also very, very exciting to, to be building a new restaurant. And part of this concept is a good third of this restaurant is going to be outdoors. Okay. And the trend towards outdoor dining was always something that was very central to, to our concepts, but that is, that is permanent. And you see towns all over Marin and the Bay Area figuring out what to do with all these parklets. Mm-hmm. And those enjoyment of dining outside has taken on a, a life of its own. It's interesting. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, if you're going to launch your a new restaurant or your first restaurant, you have to, you know, take all the lessons you learned from these past few years and outdoor dining makes sense. There are a few yeah. things that yeah. happened the last couple of years that are never changing. Yeah. And, you know, I can give you a list. There's probably a dozen or so, but, you know, one example is like uh, technology. So QR codes. Sure. I wasn't very, you know, familiar with QR codes prior to COVID, but now my father and our grandparents know how to use QR yeah. codes. And the adoption of technology with the older generation has been astonishing. And the reason for that is because they were most at risk for COVID. So they figured out very quickly how to use QR codes, how to do delivery, how to how to leverage technology to keep themselves safe. Yeah. And that the incorporation of technology into restaurants, typically restaurants are technology averse or laggards. That completely flipped. And now the op- adoption with technology in restaurants is moving at light speed and the consumers are accepting it. And so it's it's uh, that change is never is never going away. So don't worry about tomorrow. Take it for today. Please join us next time when we welcome industry insiders and industry outsiders to talk about the state of the restaurant and bar business. My name is Jeff Burkhart. Thanks for listening.